Thank you for listening to Drinking with Authors. This podcast contains adult themes, adult language, adult subjects, including alcohol, sex, and solipsistic existential nihilism. And we ask if you are drinking along with us to please drink and listen responsibly. Okay, we're on. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors. Yay! The time of COVID. So I say that because we're all doing this via Skype. So if we have technical issues, too bad. That's how this works. So I am your host, Erica Lance. With me to, as a co-host is Vanessa Valiente. And our amazing guest today is Elizabeth Sackman. Yay! Thank you for being on. Okay, we always talk about what we're drinking, so if people want to drink along, they can. So today I have a sparkling semi-sweet red wine called Stella Rosa, and I found it in my fridge because somebody gave it to me, and I thought it was regular red wine, and so then I discovered it needed to be cold, and then it's COVID, so you scavenge during COVID for alcohol around your house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so true and uh, unbeknownst to me uh vanessa what are you drinking that kind of rhymes with what i'm doing here yeah it's also stella but i'm going with the good old reliable stella beer so it's a little bit different but it's nice and refreshing and what are you drinking my dear uh, i have i have a very classy gourmet <laughs> screw top <laughs> For in times of COVID and emergency, you don't want to be stuck having to find a, a screwdriver or a corkscrew. So, but this is barefoot uh, fruscato, fruscato strawberry flavor. Oh, that's super fancy. We are super fancy now. <laughs> for a good, good summer day, yeah. So we'll just go ahead and get, get some of that. <laughs> I would get some of that started. Okay, so tell our, our listeners about what you write. Um, I write women's fiction and romance. Uh, basically, I, I yeah. Women's okay. Fiction. <laughs> and that's right. We're gonna yeah, drink, 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 drink. We're gonna we're gonna loosen you up here. Some of the podcast. This is my first podcast, and I'm really glad that I can't see myself. So I can't see my double chin. I don't have to worry about that. But yeah, so if I'm a little bit no, she doesn't you know, know what doing and then you're right i don't know what i'm doing so you are perfect uh we can see you because it's a skype call and it makes it easier to have a conversation but everybody's just going to listen nobody's going to get to see you they have all your publicity photos that's what they're going to see so you're amazing that's even better photoshopped Yeah. yeah, exactly. I that's what I Austin took some pictures of us doing the podcast and then he he made them all beautiful and I was like, "Wow, who's that?" Oh wait, that's me. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I look like under Photoshop. I appreciate that. Okay. So you write romance. Is it sweet romance? Is it erotic romance? What kind of romance? Not erotic. And I think sometimes that's where it falls better into women's fiction than say romance because there's a little bit of Everything I know you've you've talked to Barbie, my PA, and Barbie. It's funny she'll get the first draft, and so you know, romance follows the. I don't want to say trope, but you know, it's, it's a trope. A, you don't. You can say that it totally follows yeah. a trope. <laughs> I mean, I'm always real cautious because I don't want to sound like I'm bad mouthing romance either because I love romance. Um, but it'll be funny because she'll send me messages and say, and say, "This is where you just left romance." Like where you left the genre. So like in the in the book that is is free right now and about us, um, she starts a relationship but pauses kind of the relationship to get some mental some 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 therapy and some things. And Barbie's like, here you go, you just you left romance because I guess in romance the love will conquer the, the problem. Yes, that is the trope. So, women's fiction i want her to conquer her problem and then go on to the romance rather than love love fix the problem but love be there once the problem is solved yeah and i don't think it badmouths romance at all because i i'm an erotic writer i write chick lit erotica and um i've written some romance stories and we have we have a publication company so we have a lot of authors that can write romance stories but there is an exact thing romance readers want to read 
Like there is a, and it's not bad. And that doesn't mean you're not creative or anything like that, but that happens to be the thing. And it doesn't mean you can't and shouldn't write other things or break genres. We're huge fans of breaking genres, but the, there is a reason Hallmark makes like 250 movies every Christmas or some crap like that. Like <laughs> that's something that's wanted in the world. I do feel semi-sorted, not sensitive to it, but I think romance just gets trashed so often. Like they're, like you say, there's nothing wrong with the Hallmark movie. So I don't want to like also say, you know, I don't, I would never want it to be misconstrued that I'm saying romance isn't good. I'm just very bad about coloring in the lines is my problem. So I start <laughs> loving it and it's like, you know, and I had an, my agent on the one book, she was like, try to stay just really hard. Try to stay within the trope, just stay in the trope. And I started and I was like, screw it. It's ghost. <laughs> There's a ghost in there. And she's like, oh, okay. So, but you know, yeah, you're, you know, when you're, when you're kind of just, so, but yeah, she said, you might want to just go ahead and just make the, make the hop to women's fiction. So that way you don't have the worries because the ghost was there to deal with them. Also some underlying issues, some underlying abandonment, abandonment issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not the it's not the love relationship that's solving that problem, but it's the relationship with the ghost. Which sounds oh, insane. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I'm. I wrote an entire short story where she, a girl goes back home and she falls in love with her boyfriend that's dead now. She does. You know, he's not a zombie. He's a ghost that shows up, and she brought her husband with her, and it's a whole thing of that. So, yeah. No, trust me. You you can do whatever you want to with the ghost, and we support you a hundred percent. So, okay. when did you <laughs> when did you start writing? Um, let's see. My first one, I will get dates wrong as my kids will point out. I'm horrible with numbers. I'm thinking 2014. Did you write I, before that though? Like when did you actually start writing? I would say I've written my whole life. Um, you know, I'm one of, one of those kind of people that even as a kid had the notebook, my very first actual novel novel <laughs> i love the quotation marks nobody can see that but we all have those yes yeah I, I, was, I was actually in the sixth grade my parents bought me the old typewriter the one with the ribbon and all that i wrote a two-page romance novel two pages 12 chapters <laughs> so yeah that was my first crack at a romance novel it was about in the sixth grade so, and it was funny because I was reading it the other day. I was going through, my mom had passed away. So she sent the box of treasures that, of, of my stuff. And I found that novel and I was actually like, wow, that wasn't too bad. I wonder if I stole it from a book, but it said, um, I think her name was Annabelle and Annabelle was leaving and the guy had hit her and, and the, the hit didn't hurt as much as the sting of the embarrassment of being slapped. <laughs> Oh, gee, okay. But yeah, wow. that, was that was the only treasure in that. And then it quickly went to, you know, standard sixth grade kind of stuff. So. Well, we're putting out a Teen Inks book, by the way, at the end of the year. And we literally are just asking people to send pictures or, you know, scan copies of their Teen Inks stuff. And we're just publishing it. No holds barred. Just like this is what it was. So if you want to contribute, please feel free. Because we all have that stuff where like, oh, my gosh. And his love for me was unfettered. You know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, should I actually write that? And did I send that to anybody? Oh, yeah. I love yeah. a short story to that as well. <laughs> Maybe I can beat that out and send you now, a chapter. It's probably I think you could send us that entire novel and we could publish that entire novel in this this anthology. <laughs> and then you could be like, Mom, I finally published that work you saved. <laughs> She always would, she would always tease me because I gave it to her as a gift. It was like one of the gifts. And I was like, and I, and it, there was even a note with it that says, one day when I'm rich, the gifts will get better. Like one <laughs> I, before that ever happened. But <laughs> that is brilliant though. I think that is brilliant. So what I'm, I'm going to be frank 
you know, because I've been drinking wine. Um, what what took you so long to actually get a novel out? Do you think? Um, I you know I think I blame a lot of it for being from West Virginia. Um, I'm from West Virginia, and it's Appalachia, and so there is that culture of I don't want to say culture of failure, but like. As a kid, you're you're not really told that you can do anything. If that makes any sense, like when totally. I went to when I went my freshman year of college, I went to Marshall University, and um, I was a first generation college student, and so was my roommate. So the first thing the college asked us to do was come to this seminar. It was like a first generation college student kind of retention program. Well, we get in there, and the very first thing they start telling us is the statistics on how we're going to fail. Wow. And, wow. And this whole, you know, first-generation college students, like the how many make it through the freshman year, how many make it through the sophomore year. And I remember I told my roommate, I'm not going back, because, like, when I got there, I was naive enough to think I could do anything. And now they're giving me all these statistics on how badly I'm going to fail. So, yeah, I mean, that to me, I told, and she was like, no, it's meant to keep us in school. And I said, well, that's like, because I played sports in high school, not well, I practiced them, but I mean, I, I was there, I was on the team. And I said, that would have been like a pep talk from the coach that says, hey, look, guys, they're twice our size, way more skill. Y'all are probably going to be blown out by halftime, but let's get in there and give it a try. I mean, it's just... So I told her, I said, no, I'm done. I'm just going to, I had my little sheet of classes you had to check off. And so I don't know that we, that as a culture, we, we're like told to think big. So, um, and overcome that though, like you said, you didn't even want to go back. I feel like you, you, you finished it. So what, what, was there anything that kind of just pushed you to like get past all that? Yeah, well, I actually, it was it was very much a blessing. What had happened is um, my mom, it was funny, she had gone to the Outer Banks, which is my home away from home. I, I love it there. So she had gone to the Outer Banks, and she was there a day that Dixie Browning, who is a writer who lives on the Outer Banks, she was doing a book signing. Well, my mom was always a big book junkie. She would stalk any author. So my mom, of course, finds out there's a, there's a signing, and she goes. And she gets this, well, and it was a Harlequin, so she gets it signed, and she brings it home to me as my as my gift, you know, because she'd always pick up something. And she gave it to me, and I was kind of like, and she was like, you snarky little reader, just read the book. <laughs> you know, like, don't roll your eyes at a Harlequin, read the damn book. So, and so, and it was the autograph to me, and I read it. And it was really enjoyable. So I messaged Dixie because I found out that she also was Bronwyn Williams. She was had also been writing under the, the pseudonym Bronwyn Williams. And my sister was a huge fan. So I wrote her a letter and asked her if she would sign my sister a book for her 50th birthday. And we started corresponding. And so and and I told her that I had always wanted to be a writer, but, you know, I was never in the right place be a reader like I didn't grow up in New York I didn't I didn't have access to you know that sort of what what I, in my mind was the only way to do it and she was like you know what you want to write right so okay maybe I will I think so, that's yeah. brilliant and you know we talk about that a lot is that um something something has occurred in certain places and with certain parents to not encourage a child's level of art whatever that level of art is whether it be writing or sculpting or like there's so many different forms of artwork that you have and to not encourage your child to be creative in that way and encourage them to keep going and that they can do it and helping them find the tools to go. This is not an easy thing, but this is what can happen. I, I think it's, um, I think it's something cause you know, but at the same time I was talking to Jonathan Mayberry, who um, I, I had him on a panel yesterday uh, via Skype, and he, his first book that hit it big, he was 48 years old. 
when he became a bestseller. He wasn't like 20 and shot out and fault in our stars and blah, blah, blah. He's this big deal, right? The same is true with J.K. Rowling. She was in her, I think, late well, I think 30s, early 40s. From bed. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you. that's okay. It, he has clothes on all the important parts, so yeah. that's cool. <laughs> Getting harder and <laughs> <laughs> oh, and kittens. We have <laughs> bare chested men walking around with kittens. That's like a whole entire calendar, isn't it? I love that. That's that's a novel in itself. Oh, um, <laughs> that is awesome. But, um, I think that that, uh, you know, when he said that to me, I was like, that's true. And he talked about Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker did not get popular really actually until he died, but he wasn't popular until he was older. He was 50 when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out. So it's never too late to be successful, but you just have to keep putting your foot in front of the other. Yeah. So. There's ever a time where you feel confident when you first start. I don't think any writer ever feels like they're ready or they're confident, but you just have to like, just keep doing it because the alternative is not doing it and it will never happen. But if you try, then your chances are greater, you know, of success. Well, I always, I'll tell friends sometimes, some writer friends that get frustrated. I always tell them writing isn't so much a hobby or a job or a skill or anything else. It's an addiction. And if you're addicted to it, nothing's going to stop you. And I think one of the things, once you get older, you really just stop, stop caring so much what other people think. You know, when you're younger, you worry more about, you know, whether it's going to sell, what are people going to say? If it doesn't sell, are they going to be, you know what I mean? How many people are laughing at you or whatever? You do hit a certain age in your life where you really just don't give a crap. So. Which is, I think, brilliant. I mean, that's my opinion. It's pretty brilliant to not give a flying crap what's happening and stuff like that. And I think it's important to get to that point where you don't give a crap what's happening, you know. Um, uh, let's talk about what kind of uh, writer you are. So are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? Are you an outliner? Are you a palancer? What kind of writing do you do? I would probably say I fall under plancer. I, um, I do, I like to have an outline. Usually when I come up with a, with an idea for a book, I'll have like, I don't know if you'd call it the theme, but like, I'll think, well, I want, I want a story about whatever. So I usually know the ending. I know how I want it to turn out. I know what I want the characters to learn. Then it becomes more of a, you know, how do I, how do I get them there? You know, so then there's the beginning, which is, you know, the hard one of the hardest things to write. Um, and then, yes, I'll, I'll do an outline. And sometimes it's almost like a, a mini draft, you know, almost like a summary. I'll just kind of go through. But then once I start, yeah, there's lots of wiggle room. So, you know, yeah. So I, I start, I think, with, with like the bare bones outline and then... Um, once the characters start to have their own voice and their own kind of personality, they take on their own voice, then they start going in their own direction. So, so do your characters lead you? Like a lot of authors talk about their characters. Like one of our, our, our good friends feels like she stalks behind her characters and takes notes of everything they're doing. And other people sit and the character goes left and they're like, where are you? Okay, fine. Okay. We're going that way. What are we doing? Is that, how do you feel about your characters? That, I think that, I think that's a very good description. I mean, at some point in time, like when, it, when you start off, they all kind of feel like the exact same character. They all kind of feel, and, and that, that'll be my first initial worry is I'll think, you know, is this the same heroine that I just had in the last book? Like these, you know, so a lot of basic similarities, but then at some point, yeah, they, um, they start, they start to take on their own voice and they and you can almost, it's almost like once you get to know someone in life, like you can guess what they said. Like I have a friend who knows me very well and she knows what I think in my head and what I say are often two completely different things, but <laughs> I'll, lie, I'll lie and say, and I said like, okay, so I was in this clothing store as a bra store mm -hmm. and the 
the dressing rooms opened right up to the like the general selling area. Well, so it was locked. The lady comes and unlocks my door and swings it open. And so it's like boobs out for the world. And I was like, I, so I told my friend, I was like, and she swung the door open and I was like, excuse me. And, and she was like, did you really, did you really say that? Cause she knows me. I was like, no, I apologize. Damn it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for showing my boobs to the world because you unlocked my door and swung it open. So, but it's like, she knew me. So I think the same happens with characters. After a while, you know them. And so when you're writing their dialogue or their actions, you're like, oh, no, they wouldn't have done that, even though it would help the plot if they would. But they No, totally. I think I think that's awesome. What do you feel like you do really, really well as an author? Oh, that sounds so cool. Um, I kind of think I do pretty well at dialogue. I, I enjoy the dialogue. I enjoy, I hear them in my head and I think sometimes that is, I'm horrible with description. So I know (laughs) that I have to go back in and kind of like, you know, I'll send it to my beta readers and they'll be like, what state is this even in? I'm like, oh, crap. All right, fine. (laughs) So, but I mean, it's, it's the the dialogue that I like. And I, I also like building characters my backgrounds in social work so i'm used to the whole you know family systems theories and personality development blah 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 so what is it that made this character who they are and and all that so yeah very cool so what are you terrible at (laughs) (laughs) i am terrible at descriptions and then if i try to put like i think well i'm gonna put them in and then I'll go and I'll look at reviews and I'm like, oh my God, seriously, did we really not need to know what color the floor was? And I'll be like, I didn't think it did, but other people thought you <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I never know, like, should I put more of that in or less of that in? You know, some readers, they want to know all that. Me, I'll probably skim right through it if I'm reading a book. Probably going to tell me they're in a house. I'm good. No, I think I think that's important because it's also important with genres, and that gives it brings us to the topic of reviews. So, do you read your reviews? Not anymore. Very rarely. Okay, so let's talk about your little review journey because a lot of people, exactly the way you are, do do not like they start doing it and then they're like, "This was a terrible plan." So, yeah. did you read reviews in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like the little review junkie. Check them every day. <laughs> Check and see if somebody else has something to say. So, and yeah. and what happened there? Uh, it'll it'll give you it will block you up quicker than anything. Because even even one that's nice, even a nice three star, which now I kind of will go and check out the three stars because those readers they're smart, they're smart. So every now and then I will read them um, because I'll notice things. I noticed that I made my characters cry way too much in the early books from reading reviews um you know some people some of these readers and these like three and four star reviewers or and five star we love five star but i mean you know they'll put a lot of intelligent thought into the story and like you know would have been nice like um the one book i had oh the who's your dad where he he brought he brings her some flowers and she and somebody said i really thought that was going to like come back at the end of the book oh I missed an opportunity there so like he had brought her dandelions told her if she kept them long enough they'd turn into to wishes and she said I really thought that would come back at the end of the book as a writer I didn't think to bring that back it would have and it would have been a great you know closed in that circle I thought oh note to self when you throw something in there that kind of symbolic make it recur so yeah that makes sense. Um, do you find like one of the things that always drives me crazy about reviews is if the this wasn't really the book for that person and they're giving you a review? Yes, I have one from a man from it was it was um, my very first book. And I think this might have been the review that made me decide, you know, stalking the reviews is probably not a great idea. It said 
a review. See, and this is sad because I can almost remember it verbatim. Um, I hate romance, but and I'm like, why did you buy the book? Like, you know, did somebody give it to you for free? Did somebody say, here, you have to, you know, I thought, so you know, people ask me all the time, will you, will you read and review like this science fiction? And I'll be like, I hate science fiction. So I am not the reviewer for you because you're already starting, you know, if you're going up to bat, we're going to throw you the pitch while you're still in the parking lot. Cause I just don't like reading it. So, but yeah, those ones. Yeah. What are you thinking? <laughs> no, total. I agree. What about you? Do you review? I will review, but only books that I like. I will never give an author a bad review. If I read a book that I completely hate, I might, and you've asked me to review it, I might message you and say, you know, it has this or that flaw that probably could use fix. But um, unless I can read a book and enjoy it, I'm not going to review it because I'll, I'll never give an author a bad review because I don't want to be a reviewer, you know, that's not, that's not my profession, so. I'm not going to pick apart another writer. No, that makes sense. Do you read books all the way through? Not anymore. I used to. I used to. If I started a book, even if I hated it, I would I would power my way through it. But now I'm too busy. So if I hate the book, I'm going to read the first. I'll read the first three chapters. If you haven't grabbed me, I might skim to the middle. If I'm still not all in, I'm out. So no, I might after to see how it turned out but no I think that's a I think that's something that comes with with age and in and in a good way is that your time is valuable like so if if you don't have it be willing to walk away and go nope 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 but do you have friends that ask you to read stuff and you start reading it and you're like oh dear god this is terrible that's, that's hard yeah. yeah it happens every now and then but then again um, as my kids point out, I wasn't a huge fan of Pulp Fiction first time I watched it. Everybody loves that. So just because I don't like something doesn't mean, you know, and they've like forced me to like watch it again until I'm past the whole, you know, I'm not big into like gory kind of movies. And so they're like, but you've got to watch this movie again because there's all kinds of subtlety. So, yeah. But so who am I? You know what I mean? To, just because I hate something doesn't mean I'm the end all. Oh, no, it's true. I think there's an audience part to that that you have. But it's very interesting dynamic when you're a writer, you have a skill set. And I think this would be true if you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an insurance agent. I don't care what it is, right? You know stuff that the common person doesn't necessarily know, right? So you could be reading something and be like, oh, oh. so you got to go, do I tell this person how bad this is? Like, where is the line? And so it's, it's interesting when you, when you try to go, it's kind of like going clothes shopping with your friends. I always ask my friends, I'm like, do you like that outfit? Like, <laughs> question, because they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, do you like it? And if they're like, oh my God, it's the best outfit. I love it. It's the, then I'm like, you should get it. That's what I'm Well, I mean, if, if it's a good friend, usually I'll only read for, you know, you know, cause you are busy. So I have to kind of like you to do the reading. Um, I, I always tell them, you know, this is my opinion, take it or leave it. I mean, if I knew everything I was doing and was a master of my craft, I'd be JK Rowling. So, you know, temper the advice with this, but here's what I'm seeing that as a reader, and a lot of times I'll separate things out from, you know, as a writer and as a reader, like I have read some things that, you know, literally, you know, the structure and everything is horrible, but the story's good, you know? So, and then there's some things that are just technically perfect, but it's like a total snooze fest. You know, I did have one friend and I told her, I said, I don't, the likability factor of your characters, like they're all me. All of them are me. They're, I don't, I don't know who to root for. You know, there's so many good things. There's good dialogue. There's good you know, the plot and stuff is there, but everybody's backstabby and mean, and I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so, and it did offend her. It made her mad. And I told her, I said, but never take one writer's advice. Send it to other people. Totally. You know, yeah. Don't tear up a script. Don't, not a script. Don't tear up a, a, a 
manuscript because one person tells you they don't like it, you know, but if, you know, you're getting a general consensus, this might be something you want to take a look at. And one of the things, because I know people are kind, whenever I ask my beta readers to read or just my reader readers, I'll sometimes call my alpha readers, my readers that aren't even writers. So I'll ask them, you know, because they'll say, well, what do you want to know? And I'll, I'll always tell them, I just want a general feedback and mark it every time you put the book down. Like, and for how long? So like, you know, and why? Like if you're reading the book and you put it down for a week, I got a problem there. I've lost you. If you put it down because, you know, I had to go finish dinner and then I picked it back up an hour later. So that's kind of how I want to know whether that's how I'll judge pacing. So, and I'll, and I'll tell, and that's what I told my friend. I said, you need to send it to other people. If you're getting the same kind of general feedback. You, you could have a problem and you might want to kind of check it out again, but uh, she hasn't talked to me much since then, but because, you know, you invest so much, you put your heart and soul into these books and, and, you know, to have somebody say, you know, and that, and especially, and that's, I told a mutual friend of ours, I said, you know, I think part of the problem with me is, is it was like a structural issue. So that's not a kind of thing where you're like going through and fix, you know, this sentence needs tweaked and that one you're talking going back to, you know, ground zero and just rebuilding. And, uh, so that's, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm, I'm the nasty person kind of telling you, yeah, you got about another year's worth of work on this one when they just want to hit publish tomorrow. So. Yeah. No. I think that's like, you have to, I think in writing any author, like you just have to be, um, you know, have that thick skin to at least listen to, what the other person has to say, even if it's something you don't agree with, sometimes it's always good just to let it sit there and just like, okay, why did this pe- this person feel this way about a particular piece? Like, even if you don't agree with their recommendation, sometimes if you just give yourself an opportunity to like think about it, then you come up with a solution that's better for you as well as meeting the problem that the reader is seeing, you know? And so sometimes... And if you don't agree right away, ju- you know, just let it sink in and think about it, you know, because sometimes you'd be surprised some of the things that you come up with and then you go back to your, your beta reader or in your case, your alpha reader, and they'll, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't think of that. And you fix the problem and you made the story, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I think, I think that's important. And I think it's important to stress that You can have what you think is the best story in the entire world, but there are technical sides to a story that make readers want to read it. And it's not to abandon all hope your story. It's to go, you need good grammar. You need good pacing. You need good sentence structure. You need things in the right tense. Um, And I hate to say this, unless we've gone to school with a lot of English classes that we actually paid attention to and didn't sleep through or try to get through the things, I can tell you, like, in my particular case, I am not that expert. I'm learning and I do some stuff to learn about it, to get better. And every time I write, I get better. But I, a while ago, took the view that if I need to have a conversation with my editor about story, I want to have that conversation. Like, sit down and go, where do you think I'm missing? Or where do my beta readers think I'm missing something in a story or something? But when it comes to all that other crap, I'm like, please just fix it and tell me what to pay attention to in the future. Like, I don't want to have a whole conversation about that I had the wrong tense and you moved these verbs around. I want to see it so I don't do the same thing in the future. But I, I want to be done with it. Like, I'm not the expert on grammar and sentence structure and all of that stuff. I'm getting better. I'm not an expert. So I think people forget that it's kind of like you can change your own oil. Everybody can look up a YouTube video on their car and in the instruction manual and change their own oil, right? A lot of people do that. You have young sons. I'm sure some of them are very proficient in fixing crap about their car, right? I am not that human being by any stretch of the imagination. I am not interested. I know I could do it, but I will take it to somebody who can do it in like 10 minutes and then give my car back because I could guarantee if I did it, it is going to be in 
all day enterprise and I may or may not have a hundred percent successful results in doing it. Well, you know, and there's, there's also the problem. I mean, if we're talking like editing your own stuff, it, as a writer, you'll, you'll gloss right over your own mistakes a hundred times because you'll fill in the blanks. I had one and it's never been published, but I had this story, um, because it's, it's, it's structurally a mess. So it would take like a complete rewrite to even get this thing ready. But I liked the story. But what had happened is I had one of the characters die. And I knew she was going to come back. I knew she wasn't really dead. And uh, a, a reader picked up real fast. Nobody cared. Nobody was sad at the funeral. And I'm like, oh, I never even. But yeah, so it's stuff like. As, and I had went back over and reread that story. I never really picked up on that. So you you do have to use those outside voices because as a writer, we fill in the blanks. We know what's coming. We know what's going to happen. So yes. Grammar errors. We'll go past our own grammar errors because we'll just read right over it. One thousand percent. Okay, we need to take a quick break. We ran a little over. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Okay. Hey, thank you for listening to Drinking With Authors. We wanted to let you know that if you're an aspiring author out there and you'd like to be on our podcast, you can email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or if you guys have a question, comment, want to tell us some little tidbit of interesting news, you can always direct message us or comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We love that you're listening. We love that you're out there. And we look forward to hearing from you. Drunk me thinks I can pour with the cap on, you know. <laughs> think we'll just wipe it off right there, and hey, we're good. Oh my Drunk goodness! High five to friend and black your eyes. We got watch. She had too big of a. She had too big a rock. And when I high fived her, she was drunk too, and it came back and smacked her in the face and blacked her eye, and she was running for office, and I was like, Tom, you're in a some kind of gang fight or something. I don't know. You have to have some kind of backstory because getting high five by a friend while you're drunk isn't going to be a good one on the campaign trail. (laughs) 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 It's West Virginia, so. Oh my goodness. I have friends that live up. I actually just drove to West Virginia, believe it or not. Um, A friend of mine passed away last year and he had a cat and I took the cat up to his parents. It had been long coming, obviously COVID made it so that I was like, can I go? Can I even get through the States to drive up there? So it's been a long time. And I took the cat up to them and it was very funny because driving through the States, I got to see people's different views of COVID Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of places, there, there's beautiful places in West Virginia. It's absolutely beautiful. But there is definitely some old school, old time, different. when you get out of the car. <laughs> exactly. But what was really funny to me is I play this video game called Fallout 76 and it's set in West Virginia. And it's set in West Virginia after nuclear attacks, but there was a town called Grafton. And in the video game, Grafton has this big, huge monster, the Grafton monster. And I was like, that's Grafton? Because we drove past it. And I'm like, this is where the Grafton monster is. And my friend's like, you're ridiculous. <laughs> little, little known fact there. That's where my mother was born. She was born in Grafton. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, we go we go way back. Now my my dad, he's he's a buckeye, so he was from Ohio. But yeah, West Virginia. We coming back from the beach one time, our um GPS routed us through Pawpaw. And I told my husband if we weren't like native West Virginians, I'd be locking the doors and be afraid to get out of the car because I swear if you listen closely enough, you could hear banjo music and somebody was going to get raped. I was like, you just know this is one scary place. And even the name, Pawpaw, West Virginia. I mean, that's just, so yeah. Scary. It's scary. Okay. So how many books have you published now? Um, I think seven or eight, seven or eight. And then some smaller pieces and anthologies. Very cool. So what is your latest release? Um, I just did About Us, 
the one I did for free. Um, and it's supposed to be the first in a three book series, which I haven't, I have the, the next one outlined, but not yet started on writing. Um, so it actually, it was a book. Um, I wrote it and then I sent it to my agent and she said that, that uh, so the woman at the, at the opening of the book, she's married and she's wanting to leave an abusive husband and the, his his cousin, her best friend, has always had um, a crush on her. So she calls him for help to, like, pack up and leave the house. So just with that, you know, my agent was like, you know, I enjoyed it. She said, we can't sell that because any whiff of, you know, extramarital anything, it will not sell because that's so. But, you know, and I really liked the book. And then um, I had sent it to Barbie and she was like, put that on Wattpad. She's like, you know, it's already written, so you may as well, uh, you know, at least use it for a little bit of something. So I put, I started, and I'd only had, like, I told her, I said, I don't have the whole thing written. I only had, like, the first half written. And so I put it on Wattpad, and as readers were giving feedback, that was kind of fun. So as they were giving feedback, what they liked, what they didn't like, kind of, that's how the, the second half of the book kind of got itself written out so that's very cool and so um you're working on that series right mm -hmm. is that what's coming up next for you now i have one with my publisher it's called flip my heart and it's a stand standalone it's the one with the ghost it's <laughs> it's the, um it's about a lady who um she is recently divorced and her aunt dies and so she has to, she goes back to the Outer Banks, which is her, where she grew up. She goes back to um, Rodante. And so she's, she's going back. She's, um, she did have money. She's lost her money. She's put on weight. She's divorced. So she's not at all excited to head back to this funeral and have everybody kind of see that, you know, she didn't do real well in life. And so she gets there and, the aunt had taken in a foster child that um, Danny is the name of the, the, the main character. So she plans to just come go to the funeral and get the heck out of Dodge. And so while she's there, this, the aunt keeps popping up and she's like, thinks she's losing her mind. So she goes to leave the funeral, pulls out in front of a car, ends up in the hospital. And then she finds out that the aunt had this foster kid that, um, you know, Danny would just be a horrible person. This is, you know, this child's lost everything. And so if she packs up and leaves, the girl goes back into foster care. So she's going to go ahead and stick around on the island, kind of deal with her demons and hot guy next door. And so that's there's the nothing like a hot guy next door to help you deal with your demons. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Hot guy with some construct. When we were coming up with tag or with um with the well the taglines or whatever I forget what they're called now I always forget. I was like, she has problems. He has the tool to fix them. And she's like, okay, no, it's not. <laughs> like, I can. Oh, oh, you, like, what, what else do we need? Oh, I see what you're going with. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's in construction. But then you know, like my publisher always says, you have to be careful because if it's too racy, and then they get the book. And it's not racy, you know. Yeah, then you've got disappointed readers. There was no use of that tool the way I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. That is a true story. What do you think about um, writing in other genres? So you write women's fiction, you write romance a little bit. What do you think about writing in other genres? Have you ever thought about writing different genres? I have thought I I had this idea for like almost like a horror story and I decided that's why Stephen King drinks because you take those books to bed with you at night and if they're not happy books I'm not sleeping you know what I mean so I'm a horror I, writer so I understand yeah so if I'm laying in bed and I'm you know my head's filled with demons and monsters and ghosts <laughs> I'm not the bravest soul in the world so, yeah, no, I, I like to say I enjoy happy endings. I enjoy <laughs> I'll stay there because I thought that was my first thought. I thought it was no wonder this poor man had a drug addiction at one time. It's probably the only way to get to sleep. 
Are you more of a fan of like the happily ever after or ha- happy for now kind of ending? I like a happily ever after. I, I like, I like to think that at the end of everybody's journey, the world is filled with rain, rainbows, unicorns, and all things good. <laughs> That's terribly brave of you to think that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think life can be crappy enough, you know. It's gonna kick you in the teeth often enough. I want I want stories to come with, you know. So I Yeah, so not that now I'll watch things that make me cry, but you know. That was that's always been my um I really like Nicholas Sparks. But he makes me cry. I'm not looking to cry in my book. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I'm killing off people. But but my, now my niece, she's always like, you need to kill somebody. And I told her, one of these days I'm going to, and then I hope you regret it. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to tell everybody, my niece made this person die. I hope you all enjoy it. So. <laughs> you should put that in the dedication in the book there's a certain point you'll get to in this book and realize something my niece made that happen yes. or the epilogue end of the book my niece was the cause of this so here is her email address if you have any difficulties with um, this particular situation <laughs> oh my gosh that's it's actually really really funny because um uh, i kill characters all the time in my horror books like hands down my fans have become very they're they're used to that i believe that horror stories um not every story has a happy ending like absolutely i i actually had writer's block yeah oh i said it wouldn't be good if it did because then it's too predictable well that and i also think that when people go through terrible experiences in their life like i i kind of akin it to hunger games because everybody's a lot of people have watched that but at the end of hunger games they're broken they're very broken like they've gone through something so traumatic that yes they they did some right things and they helped a giant cause make a, a social change that was necessary but PETA and, you know, um, she, uh, Katniss are not, they are not in a good place. I mean, they have to go be alone in a very quiet place to be okay because they're not in a good place. And I, and I think anytime I read a story, like that's one of my big pet peeves in reading a story is when people go through this or go through an abusive relationship, not that they can't get better and stuff like that, but I don't think the, those kind of pieces of baggage go away. They don't go away a hundred percent. And so to act at the end of a story or whatever, like that went away, you, you, I don't think that's fair to your reader almost. Well, the, the one book I wrote, I wrote Bella's point. It's um, set in the reconstruction after the civil war. And I had a reviewer from, I forget. Indie magazine. Um, It was one of the, it was like a professional reviewer. What they they said they liked the story all the way up until the the hero lies to her, and they didn't like the fact that the hero would lie to her. And I don't want to give away the end of the story, but the heroine in the story, Bella, has been through a lot. She's been married off to a guy that she loathed by her parents. Um, he was abusive, and so. When the war starts, they lose everything. She's kind of freed by the destruction, the destruction, because she she comes from, you know, the antebellum world and where that that falls apart. She's now kind of free to to kind of redesign her own life. And the hero that she falls for, he he's aware of those scars. He knows those scars are there. And so there is a situation in the story where um, he just basically lies to her. Something that she thinks she's done. Well, she thinks she murders someone. And he lies to her and says no. And so, and so they didn't like that. But I thought, you know, to me, that's reality. He knew she, was, she had a good heart. She was a good person. And that that was the kind of guilt 
that could, you know, undermine any, any amount of, you know, good mental health that she has put herself together with. No, I think that's true. I think you were correct in leaving that in the story. And it's interesting, though, because even if they're a reviewer, a lot of times they go from their personal things. So any audience member that you have is going to go from their personal vantage point of that piece of work. And you can objectively read it kind of like to your point. We can, we can go, this isn't technically right. This isn't this. But if it's something that we, like I was talking um earlier today with a friend of mine and I had given her a copy of a book and I'm like, can you, can you write a review for me? And I asked her, I'm like, how's it going? She's like, "Hmm, I'm having a hard time getting through it. And I'm like, she's like, it's not badly written or anything. And I'm like, is it because you can't empathize with the characters? And she's like, that's exactly it. And the book, the two people are terrible. It's co-written with a friend of mine. It's from a male and female perspective. And there are two people that meet on a dating app And they're just not good people. And it's all about the lies on the dating app. It's called 72% Match because the dating apps match you with people on the weirdest algorithms, having nothing to do with whether or not you actually should be with the person. But she said that to me. She's like, yeah, I, you know, it's hard because I like to put myself in one of the characters. And as a reader, I think a lot of readers like to put themselves in the characters. Like they want to be that or they're watching it and they want it. It reminds them of somebody close to them or whatever happens. So I think that happens with reviewers as professional as they want to be. They have notions. Maybe that reviewer had been lied to once in her life by somebody and she's like, you should never lie to people. Yeah. Well, and I think too, when, when you are in romance, like if you're looking at it strictly from romance, people in romance, the hero is the hero is the white knight. You know what I mean? And I, I, um, in fate intended the heroine in that one, um, she's ornery and she likes this guy and she knows his girlfriend is evil. So she's also his cleaning lady. So while she's doing the cleaning, it doesn't bother her to delete the emails from the girlfriend. <laughs> and, you know, so that's anti-heroin, though. You know, a heroine wouldn't do that. But as, as far as she's concerned, and, you know, it turns out she's part mafia princess and all that. So to blur the lines doesn't, but that doesn't make her a perfect hero. But in her mind, the ends justifies the means. The woman is evil. And she's bad for the guy. She, in her mind, is doing him a favor. <laughs> she's. Right, and I think that's what makes like villain characters the best or morally great characters is you have to think, okay, as, especially from the writer's perspective, what makes them the hero in their story? And sometimes, you know, bad people, it's not just, oh, for the sake of power. They're in their minds, they're thinking that they're doing what is right in some, even if their thought process is completely skewed. So I think that's really good that you do that. I mean, sometimes we can't get what we want from books. I mean, Game of Thrones, I feel like every season I never got what I wanted. So, but it was still, for the most part, up up until the last season was great. So, you know, I think, I think that's good. Some things are not wrapped up in like cute little packages. So I think that's why it pushes it out of romance. And I do understand why romance needs to stick to those because the people tuning in, you know, I'll sometimes say, you know, I love to watch um, a story on the Harlequin network and I know what I'm going to get. I don't want to sit down and start watching a Harlequin movie thinking I'm getting A and then all of a sudden it turns into B and you're like, whoa, I don't want to Netflix if I wanted that. You know, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I would watch Black Mirror on Netflix if I thought this was the direction this story was going. when when somebody picks it up when it's the package you know um it's like my editor or like my publisher said you can't make something look racy and then it's not racy you know what i mean they they kind of the reader has an idea of what they're wanting that day and that's fine too so but yeah i do i don't believe that there is such thing as a good person and a bad person like you say even a bad person can justify in their mind i mean i've it, you know, I remember telling my grandma one time she had this guy that was coming in and doing work for her and he seemed really nice. And I told her, I said, the thing that you have to protect yourself against is sometimes bad people, they'll justify their actions. 
you know, it, it might, he won't think, well, I'm going to go, you know, hit this old lady over the head with the skillet because I want, you know what I mean? I'm a bad person. No, he'll think she underpaid me. You know what I mean? There'll be some sort of justification in their mind for doing what they do, you know, some reckoning or something, you know, getting even with somebody or that person has something that should have been mine or so, yeah, I think, and even good people, you know, no matter, I always tell people I try to be a good person, but every day within 10 minutes of my feet on the floor, I'm screwing it up one way or another. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, I'm going to be Melanie Wilkes and by 10 o'clock, I'm being a bitch. No. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I gave up starting off like that. I'm just like I am. I'm radically honest, radically transparent. You will always know where you are with me. But, uh, you know, at work, it's funny. I didn't realize I did this all the time, but the people that work for me, I'm an HR, by the way. I'm an HR executive over a global company. But I apparently say this phrase a lot. What in the actual fuck? Like, what... <laughs> Well, what the fuck has happened? Like, I said that a lot, too, because I'm like, how did this go? What? What? Humans, though. I think you work in a job that has humans. Humans can totally change the equation of any situation very rapidly. <laughs> you never know what a human's going to do. You just, yeah, it's, that's part of the, the fun, though, too, though, right? You totally. Know? I know. If I didn't enjoy things going, you know, helter skelter, then I'd been an accountant because, you know, number, <laughs> numbers don't do that to you. <laughs> oh, totally, totally, totally. Okay, so what? When you're reading, do you do you want a happy ending, or can you have happy for now, or do you? I can have happy for now. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I yeah, I like happy. I'll even take a sad ending when I'm reading it. You know, I'll watch movies that are sad, usually only once. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not queuing up old Yeller every month to watch. So, <laughs> yeah, my my version of that is where the red ferns grow. Yeah. Ever seen that movie? That is a very sad movie. No, Steel, Steel Magnolias. I'm bitter every time I go to watch that. Like, And the thing is, like, I love the scenes with the friends just sitting around and, like, laughing. But when we get when we get three-fourths in, I'm like, I have to stop. I can't watch anymore because it breaks my heart. Yeah, but you were right. All the beginning, that is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have your books on audiobook? No, I don't, and I should, but I don't know how. My publisher, I don't think, has ever done it. She's just a small publisher. And well, if you want to reach out, we're a publisher. We're, you know, so okay. just reach out to me, and I will give you some guidance, because our goal is we're, we're Four Horsemen Publications. That's the name of our publishing company, and we're bringing the publishing apocalypse. We're quite done with the way publishing works right now, so we're going to change it. I once I once read a blog post about um, when I first started. I was all about the trying to get the you know the contract through one of the big publishing houses, and then I was like, screw that crap. We're Americans. We're pioneers. Let's get in our let's get in our little wagons and let's just start doing this crap on our own. <laughs> that's a, that's exactly our view of it because we looked at like I love the hashtag that came out. What was the exact hashtag? My book deal what was it Vanessa the one that came out where people were listing what they were actually paid on their contracts for books uh, like I don't remember but it's, it's pretty scary the amount because I mean writing a book is hard enough and trying to break through even like if you go the traditional route of getting an agent getting a contract no I mean no matter way any way you go uh, it's so hard. And then you you get like, it's so crushing to know how much someone generally makes. Like Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, like those people are, I mean, their stories are phenomenal, but they are just like 1%. Most of, like the average writer has another job and they pretty much make beans from their novel and they have to keep producing, producing, producing and being like vigilant. So it's, it's quite shocking the amount of money people make. 
or how little they make is what oh, I mean. Yeah. I have I have a friend and I won't name names, but got a traditional publishing contract and has yet to make back because you don't get paid until you make back that um, um direct. Yeah, the advance. Yeah. And I was like, you know, self-publish it because and then what was awful is um so like I read the story prior to publication. So when he sends it in, they're like, you need to add an extra ten thousand words to be like within this word count, like magic number. So he so he adds the extra. They choose the cover, and then when the book comes out, like that was all just added fluff. Like it just like you know what I mean? It took the punch out of the book because there's all of this added stuff that he just threw in to to meet a word count, and then the cover was kind of girly and the book was should have been targeted towards um young young men and so i and i thought the poor guy like they're beating him up for their choices like he wasn't even a real big fan of the cover and they were like you know but it, when you're going traditional they they're the they're the you know they're the wizards in the room so you do what they tell you to do and but then it was like, this book isn't selling. And I told him, my son at the time, the same on the walkthrough, half naked with a kitten, um, he loved those kind of books. He didn't like the cover. You know, he was like, well, because I was like, you need to read this book. It's a friend of mine. And he was like, looks like it's for girls, you know. So, and I thought, you're beating him up for the things that they chose. No, totally. That's why we do it completely differently and that's why we did it because we're all authors that are creating this publication company and we understand that the cover is a marketing tool sometimes authors don't get that too the cover is a marketing tool that is all that it's geared. you can have whatever like i wanted to have but no shut up what we're going to do is we're going to find what your genre wants yeah. to will pick up this book when they see it or the, like we look at the thumbnails, like that's part of our huge thing. Like, well, how does this look as a thumbnail? Because it's great when it's like this and you have it on a shelf and you can see it, but how does it look when it's like, what is it? Two by one. And you're looking at it. Would you click on it? And, um, it, it is really interesting how much people lose. And then in that scenario, they'll give advances. And if you don't sell, they'll take them back. And people don't realize that that kind of happens. You, you have to read the fine print to go, they're going to do a takey backsy if you don't make that 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. Like I had a friend that did the 50,000 route and was given 50,000. She thought cats meow, blah, blah, blah. And they showed up after three years going, you didn't sell. We want the money back. Wow. Now, yeah. fortunately, his advance wasn't nearly that impressive. So, but, you know, like he said, I already put a roof on my house with the money, you know. And they, you know, and one of the things, and it could have been, you know, because he's entry level, you know, they told him you need to set up a website, you need to do all this. And I thought he's still having to do all the stuff that we're having to do. I thought that you that just meant magically like, you know, I don't know, like the marketing fairies showed up at your house and were like, okay, here you go. This is how this all is set up. I've listened to so many podcasts about exactly that scenario that you'd be surprised that even if you went the traditional route, you got in with one of the major houses like Simon Schuster, Penguin, that even when you get picked in that season of 30-something books that they have slotted, only out of those 30, one of them will get that major, major push. And it's the one that is that you see like everywhere, the big buzz book. And other than that, you even if you're traditionally published, you still have to do your own marketing. It, it's, again, one person out of 30 of the half of that fall season is going to get the backing. Everyone else still has to do their own work. And so that's why no matter where you are, you should always know some level of marketing because you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you, you just pray and hope that you're going to get enough support. But if not, you have to be your own support to make your own success. And only get 6% royalties. Oh, Don't get me started <laughs> down that path because we have to wrap up. We're getting to the end and you'll get me down an entire tangent. Maybe a <laughs> podcast. But, um, so we need some shameless self-promotion from you. Tell people where to find you. Um, I, I think most of my books are most everywhere that they're sold online, Amazon. Um, now some of the ones I've self-published, I have done and done the KDP 
So they are Amazon only. I have a website. Um, I have a which blog. Is, which is? Which is? dot com, And that's Seckman with an S, not a B or an F. Everybody always wants to make me a Beckman or a Feckman, but it's a Seckman. And um, I also have a blog. Um, sometimes you just put Elizabeth Seckman in the search engine, then that kind of stuff will come up. Pictures of me and my dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You have been amazing and wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. And, and thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> okay. okay, guys. Well, this has been Drinking with Authors. I'm Erica Lance. And I'm Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time. Bye.